minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
children happy help the children grow 
It's the Kumtanz CD here on a Friday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. Rosh Chodesh morning here at JM in the AM. Oh, yes. Uh, good morning, all. That's the uh, Kumtanz CD. That is a, a recent release. Uh, Shlaimi Gertner responsible for that medley called the Tanz Medley. Baruch Levine had Anim's Miros. You heard Shalshelis. With Aisha's Chayel. Yoel Sharabi's Adon Alam. Yismach Moshe, that great classic from Diaspora. Yoshi Fruchter from a CD from years ago that is um, really spectacular. Uh, Beyond the Book is the name of the CD. We played Noah's song on this era of Shabbos, Parshas Noah. 
and Regesh Modani opening things up as we say good morning. It's Friday on this October 24th, day 30 in the month of Tishrei. Today is day one of Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan, all the traditional additions for Rosh Chodesh. You know, Yalav Yavo, Half Hallel, special Torah reading, Musaf, Barchinafshi. If you're not familiar with any of that, consult with your local rabbi. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Noach, the Shabbos Project is in full swing. Last night, a whole, if you're on Facebook, boy, <laughs> you saw a lot of challah baking last night. <laughs> it was really amazing. A big yeshikach to everybody who planned events to begin on Thursday evening for the Shabbos Project all around the world, especially here in North America. Uh, and um, uh, those projects, uh, the Shabbos Project continues tonight with so many different uh, community gatherings, meals, and own eggs. Uh, tomorrow, of course, through Shabbos Day, and then tomorrow night with a whole bunch of musical presentations that are taking place. In fact, Executive Assistant Avrami sent me an email. He's dedicating Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night to those artists that he knows of that are going to be playing tomorrow night in different venues around the country uh, in honor of the Shabbos Project. A lot of Havdalah services, Kumzitzin, etc., so uh, he'll be doing that tomorrow night starting at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And obviously before that, a whole bunch of concerts are going to be uh, kicking off in the uh, Jewish community. Uh, very special Shabbos project, a very special Shabbos. Candlelighting at 542. We're calling it for 542 officially in the New Jersey, New York area. Looks like good weather in this area with 50 degrees, 77% humidity. Winds west at 5, partly cloudy today with a high 65. Tonight, partly cloudy, low 47. Sunshine for tomorrow. Who could ask for anything more with a high temperature of 67 degrees? Yerushalayim is at 84, Tel Aviv at 81, Haifa at 79, and a lot at 88 degrees. We're at 50 here in Jersey City as we wake up on a Friday at JM in the AM. Congressman Scott Garrett's going to join us. He's uh, coming up later on in this uh, in this program. I'm looking at the district that he represents, meaning geographically the district. It's so unbelievable how they draw these j- districts, I'll tell you. Uh, Congressman Scott Garrett, 5th District of New Jersey, he'll join us later on in the 7 o'clock hour. Malcolm Holmline, it's time for a weekly update. Lots going on in this crazy world of ours, that's for sure. And uh, we'll find out what he has to say about it. 7.40 this morning here at JM in the AM. Uh, that'll be the weekly update with Malcolm. Rabbi Yudin, of course, coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. Naomi Nachman has an amazing Table for Two show, which you can hear and see on our stream, uh, starting at 9 a.m. this morning. And, of course, an all-day incredible Erev Shabbos music mix. Uh, there's so much happening at jmtheam.org. It's amazing. So there you have it. Uh, plenty more coming up. 22 minutes before 7 o'clock on this Friday, on this Rosh Chodesh morning, as we continue with uh, Yaeli Klein at JM in the AM. Be 
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning on this October 24th, day 30 in the month of Tishrei. It's Rosh Chodesh, everybody. Good morning. Enjoy your Rosh Chodesh. Enjoy the month of Mar Cheshvan. And it's hard to believe that one-twelfth of the brand new year is already gone. Erev Shabbos Parshas Noach Tzemin HaTeva. Words from this week's Parsha. That's uh, Aaron Razel <coughs> here at J.M. in the A.M. Shlaimi Gertner had Yala Yavo, the brand new single that he introduced during the holiday season. Mordechai Ben David with Eitz Chaim off the sheer double CD. And Yaeli Klein had Va'afilu, a big favorite, continues to be a big favorite, uh, that's for sure. Uh, great weekend programming on our stream at jmnam.org. Don't forget that Executive Assistant Avrami is going to be um, featuring a whole bunch of artists that are uh, being featured during the Saturday night Shabbos Project events. There are a lot of kumzitzes, a lot of uh, concerts that are going on, Havdullah services that are going on tomorrow night. Avrami is going to uh, feature a lot of those artists tomorrow night at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on our stream during his uh, Saturday Night Seagull. Uh, Sunday, it's JM Sunday. Matis will be joined by Jew in the City, Allison Josephs. She will be um, a part of the program on Sunday with uh, Matis. Did a great show in her first uh, effort with us at the Nahum Seagull Network yesterday. <laughs> I heard the show last night. On demand, and Mendy Pellin had a couple of lines that were so great. He said, "He's a comedian. He's a comedian, so you have to take everything tongue in cheek." He said, "God gave us a sense of humor, and then gave us five great books of material." <laughs> I think I'm doing him justice by uh, saying it that way. It's either a direct quote or a really good paraphrase. That was one of them. He had another great line as well, which doesn't come to mind the second, but it was a very funny uh, conversation in many ways. He'll be hosting the Jew in the City event coming up on December the 2nd. Uh, so Matis has a Jew in the City. Allison Joseph's coming up Sunday morning, part of JM Sunday. Make sure to be tuned in on the stream at the jmandtheam.org. Monday morning we get back, and next week is an interesting week for us because, believe it or not, and I don't know how many people realize how close Superstorm Sandy was to Yuntif. It happened just a couple of weeks after a Sukkis. And I say it that way because um, we're going to be heading out to the five towns. We'll be doing our second anniversary program for the second anniversary of Superstorm Sandy at Achiezer, Rabbi Bender and Company. That's happening on uh, Wednesday morning, 29th of October. That's when it happened. That's when the storm hit on that Monday night. And uh, two years later, we'll find out what's happening out there, and obviously we'll uh, continue uh, to get an update regarding the activities of Achiezer, which have become so vast since Hurricane Sandy. It really uh, propelled them into uh, amazing work out there, into even more amazing work out there. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. It's Rosh Chodesh morning. Galei Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM and the AM. Galei Tzal, Asha'a Shtayim. Kan Shibel Karmi Mansur, in Mashekorea Akshav. שתי מטיילות ישראליות נהרגו בהתהפכות אוטובוס בנפל, חשש לחיי ישראלי נוסף. 
כתבתנו עופרי אשל. לפחות עשרה בני אדם נהרגו וביניהם שתי מטילות ישראליות. ישראלי נוסף שהיה לאוטובוס מוגדר כנעדר, ובין ארבעים הפצועים גם שלושה ישראלים. סך הכל שישה ישראלים היו מעורבים בתאונה הבוקר, שבה הידרדר אוטובוס מהכביש והתהפך בדרכו מדירת נפל קטמנדו, לשמורת לנגטנג. על פי דיווחים בתקשורת המקומית, האוטובוס היה עמוס יתר על המידה, עם כשבעים נוסעים חלקם על הגג. שגריר ישראל בקטמנדו נמצא כעת עם הפצועים בבית החולים ועומד בקשר עם הרשויות המקומיות. הפרות סדר במזרח ירושלים עם סיום תפילת הצהריים בהר הבית. אין נפגעים. כתבנו ענבל תמיר. מספרים ידעו אבנים וירו זיקוקים לעבר כוחות משטרה ומג"ב בוואדי ג'וז. הכוחות פיזרו אותם תוך שימוש באמצעים לפיזור הפגנות ועצרו שלושה חשודים בהם שני בגירים וקטין. המשטרה ומג"ב פרוסים בכוחות מתוגברים סביב העיר העתיקה ובמזרח ירושלים במטרה למנוע הפרות סדר. השר לביטחון הפנים יצחק אהרונוביץ' אומר כי יפעל להרוס את ביתו של המחבל שביצע את פיגוע הדריסה בירושלים שלשום. אהרונוביץ' אמר את הדברים בעת ביקור בבית משפחתה של התינוקת חיה זיסל בר-און שנרצחה בפיגוע. צוות ההגנה של ראש הממשלה לשעבר, אהוד אולמרט, מסרב להשיב לפרקליטות חומרי חקירה שלטענת המדינה הועברו אליו בטעות. כתבנו רום ליאור. בתגובה שהגישו סנגוריו של אולמרט נכתב כי החומר שמבקשת הפרקליטות להשיב, הודעות מתיבת הדואר האלקטרוני של שולה זקן, כלל לא הועבר בטעות וכי ההודעות שאינן קשורות לתיק נמחקו על ידי הפרקליטות לפני העברתן. עוד נכתב בתגובה כי זו הפעם השנייה בה מבקשת המדינה להחזיר אליה חומרי חקירה שהועברו לסנגוריו של אולמרט, וכי הדבר מקשה מאוד על עבודת ההגנה. פעם מסחר במטבע החוץ התחזק היום הדולר בשבע עשיריות האחוז ושערו היציג שלושה שקלים שבעים ותשע אגורות ושלוש עשיריות האגורה. זה מחירו הגבוה ביותר של הדולר מאז דצמבר 2012. גם האירו עלה ושערו ארבעה שקלים שבעים ותשע אגורות ושלוש עשיריות האגורה. התאחדות הכדורגל האירופית ופא הענישה את סרביה ואלבניה בעקבות פיצוץ המשחק ביניהן בבלגרד בשבוע שעבר במסגרת מוקדמות אליפות אירופה. סרביה זכתה בניצחון טכני 3-0, אך הופחתו לה 3 נקודות. כל אחת מהנבחרות נקנסה ב-100 אלף אירו. המשחק הופסק בעקבות מהומה שפרצה לאחר חדירת טיסן זעיר ועליו דגל אלבניה למתחם המגרש. מזג האוויר אצלנו נאה עם עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות, מחר עוד התחממות. אלה החדשות שעורך אילן ליאור בהפקה לי עמרם אילת. Thank <laughs> you. 
Yisrael Werdiger. Nice Dodi as we uh, dedicate all of our music this morning to the folks involved in the Shabbos Project Worldwide. Just heard from a commenter on our app. The NSN app gives you the ability to comment on the home screen. And uh, this person says the big challah bake in Kew Gardens Hills was a great success. All right. Over 100 women came out and kids too. Thanks to all involved, and we will use that opportunity to thank everybody who had challah baking uh, sessions and programs and concerts. There was a challah baking concert last night <laughs> in the Sands with Eitan Katz, um, who made last night a great success. 
and really kicked off the Shabbos project nicely in this area of the country. Kolakavod from all of us here at JM in the AM. I shouldn't say this area. We've been um, announcing events that are going on down south and in the Midwest and other areas as well for this coming Shabbos. It should be a really special Shabbos in so many, in so many uh, incredible communities around uh, North America. 50 degrees, partly cloudy, a high temperature of 65. Congressman Scott Garrett later on in this hour. Malcolm Holmline, of course, with the weekly update coming up. Rabbi Yudin's going to address us, as he always does. Uh, Naomi Nachman is going to be on at 9 o'clock, right after JM and the AM on jmtheam.org. And this week she'll speak with cookbook author Ronnie Fine, who will discuss her brand-new book. Menachem Lubinsky will be on from Kosher Fest, chatting about the growth of the show in the last quarter of a century and brand new products plus SD Berkowitz from Kosher Fest will share all the exciting details of the uh, foodie event as Naomi Nachman calls it it's a big trade show it is an amazing event and it happens in mid November this year JM the AM at 10 minutes after 7 o'clock we continue uh, this is uh, more from the Werdiger family
JM in the AM, Friday morning on this era of Shabbos. It's Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan. Uh, that's more from the Kumtan CD, great medley done by a, a gentleman named Ellie Hertzlick here at JM in the AM. Partly cloudy with a high of 65. Shabbos project weather in this area. The Shabbos, I should say, of the Shabbos project weather in this area is looking good, I must say. I'm getting so many interesting emails, I'll tell you. First of all, there's somebody who claims that over a million people will have something to do with Shabbos around the world this week, which is amazing. Um, that's an incredible number. I don't know how they arrive at the number, but uh, just the fact that people are even uh, tossing around the number like that is pretty remarkable. Also, I got a, uh, I got a communique uh, from somebody in Belarus. Belarus has implemented... The Shabbos project for unaffiliated this coming Shabbos in six different cities, actually, in that area. Belarus, uh, let's see, the six cities are Pinsk, Minsk, Gomel, Grodna, Bobroisk, and Mogilev. They're all going to be participating in the Shabbos project. Pretty amazing. Also, as I said, uh, based on the reports we're getting, the Shabbos project kicked off in a whole bunch of areas in a really nice way last night with all the challah baking events, uh, many of them here in North America. Uh, anybody who's on Facebook probably saw and could practically smell through the screen <laughs> those delicious challah baking pictures that people were posting from all around the world. And now the uh, Shabbos project gets into full swing on this Rosh Chodesh Shabbos and, uh, many, many events tomorrow night. Uh, Havdallah events, concert events, Kumzitzin are going to be taking place. Uh, Executive Assistant of Rummy, in fact, is concentrating tomorrow night on Saturday Night Seagull to present those artists that are going to be featured in different Saturday night events for the Shabbos Project. And you'll hear that at 10 o'clock tomorrow night on our stream right here at jmnam.org. So a lot of great things going on. It's Erev Shabbos Parsha's Noach. Candle lighting officially, we'll call it for 542. 542 is candle lighting on this Erev Shabbos. Things getting earlier and earlier. I think a week from Sunday is when we switch officially to daylight savings time, right? I believe it's a week from Sunday. Uh, so we don't have to deal with that yet, but it's coming up. Yes, yes, yes. Don't you just love those winter months? Um, uh, coming up, uh, we, we mentioned that Congressman Garrett would join us today. I believe he's joining us Monday. A uh, little bit of a um, miscommunication between our office and his office, so I believe he'll be joining us uh, Monday morning here at JM in the AM. We'll get his impressions on what's happening. Uh, on so many different fronts. He represents the 5th District in New Jersey, which includes a whole bunch of our listeners, especially in Bergen County and a lot of other areas as well. So we'll do that um, uh, hopefully Monday here at JM in the AM. And don't forget that the anniversary of Superstorm Sandy is Wednesday of next week. And you know what that means? It means we're going to be heading out to the five towns. Achiezer is going to be our uh, our makeshift studio this coming Wednesday as we will uh, look back two years and we'll look forward as we get a report on what's happening uh, with the great work of Achiezer. They are doing incredible work. They always do. And we get the opportunity to speak with them this coming Wednesday, which is, believe it or not, the anniversary, second anniversary of Superstorm Sandy. And um, uh, that'll be Wednesday morning between 6 and 9 a.m. Candle lighting at 542. Malcolm Honeline with the uh, weekly update is coming up. Plenty more if you keep it right here at JM in the AM.
Yosef Karduner from his Yearning for Shabbat CD. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend our amazing live stream at jmnam.org to all their wonderful readers. A big thank you to them. Wish them a happy new year and a great Chodesh. Uh, if you want a million articles, well, not a million, but you know what I mean. A lot, a lot of articles to read about what's going on in this world. I go to jewishworldreview.com. Friday morning, it's Erev Shabbos, Parshas Noach, Shabbos Project Shabbos. It is Rosh Chodesh today and tomorrow. Candle lighting at 542. We're calling it for 542 officially on this Erev Shabbos. Remind you tomorrow night, Executive Assistant Avrami is on starting at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on our stream at jmnam.org. He's going to feature artists that are participating in programs tomorrow night, Havdalah services, kumzitzes, uh, concerts, in honor of the Shabbos project in different areas. And then Matis has JM Sunday, Sunday morning, starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time on the stream at jmnam.org. And we posted, by the way, on the Nachum Siegel Network um, Facebook update page, we posted Matis' conversation with Rabbi Goldstein from a couple of weeks ago. It's a good throwback conversation to listen to now. Uh, after he spoke to him a couple of weeks ago when the Shabbos project was just really starting to pick up steam. So you'll find that on our Facebook update page simply entitled Nachum Siegel Network. And um, a reminder, next week, Achiezer on Wednesday for the anniversary of Superstorm Sandy. Well, it's hard to believe that he actually remembers us after all this time. It's been a while since we've had a weekly update and a conversation on the air. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the uh, weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's good to be back with you. I, I, I do remember the name, but I can't remember the face. <laughs> Maybe we'll get together one day. <laughs> And we'll be able to catch up a bit. Uh, well, the uh, Yuntif season was beautiful, thank God, mostly. Uh, unfortunately, it was marred by um, headlines of criminal and, let's say, otherwise inappropriate behavior from a community leader in one of the highest profile congregations in the entire world, Malcolm. Uh, describe how difficult it is, if it is difficult, 
for someone like yourself to represent our people when these types of episodes continue to work their way into the headlines? Well, it's, uh, you know, it doesn't affect us directly in the sense that uh, uh, people, that, that it affects the work we do, that I do, but the, uh, the impact on the community as a whole, I think it's very evident. And, uh, you know, while it happens in every community and things occur no matter what the group it is, Jews are particularly sensitive, as we should be to it, and uh, I think it just reminds us all to be on guard and the need for all of us to be vigilant uh, and hope that the, the, those who are involved will be will find comfort and, and uh, get past this. A rabbi, uh, uh, someone who's really outspoken, especially in social media, said to me this week that um, as insiders, it's it, 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 we have a, a much more narrow view of the whole thing and suspect that people are looking at the entire community, outsiders, those who aren't religious, those who are not within the Jewish community, as, you know, as, you know, as really bad people, so to speak, you know, looking at all of us the way they would look at criminal behavior. And he said that he, he, he thinks that if you, if you look at it more from an outsider's point of view, uh, based on the conversations he's had with outsiders, uh, they appreciate when people like us you know, condemn these type of acts and and make sure to reiterate and remind the world that generally, you know, our community, thank God, does not behave like this. You agree with that? Yeah, I think that everybody, you know, every public leader, anybody who comes under criticism, thinks that the whole world is focused on them and you know tends to turn inward and look at themselves and, and exaggerate the impact. Mm. Uh, you know, as I said, the. the uh, other religious groups have had serious problems, and, the, and uh, the question is how you address it. And if you tend, if you lie about it, it tends to compound the problem, as opposed to just addressing it and openly and frankly, and seeing that we try to prevent it and to again try to bring comfort to those who are affected. Right, no question. Well, the terror attack in Yerushalayim this week took the life of uh, three-month-old Chayyazis Braun. And um, there are a lot of different angles we have to discuss, and I, I even want to get into the whole the, the fact that there was a terror attack in Canada the same day, and maybe make some comparisons. But the the first thing that really outraged a lot of listeners here, and I was I was glad to see uh, people really get hot headed about this, is that she was an American citizen, and we're talking about you know a, a family that you know partly comes from America, the rest of the family with great ties to this country. You would think, and again, we can compare it to other episodes, you would think there would have been a greater outrage from Washington and from leaders in this country. Are the listeners right? I think by and large, yes. <clears throat> when uh, the New York Times, I don't even know if it mentioned it, but if it did, it was just in passing. We had other, uh, there was the the uh, attacks that took place here that, that you know, could have, this certainly could have been part of that uh, report. And when a, a, a Palestinian who was throwing firebombs or Molotov cocktails gets shot, do you see the headlines without the context about what happened was even in, in regard to this incident where somebody sent me a headline where it says Israeli troops shoot Arab man and then it says yeah he was engaged in a terrorist attack and just <laughs> killed a baby yeah, it was Israeli police shoot man in Jerusalem right. that, that, that's the way they report the story and, and uh, I mean I think it is an untold story overall and that is the ongoing violence in Jerusalem there isn't a single day when there aren't incidents and as you know we've been very involved in 
the Mount of Olives, the Harazetim, the whole issue of the desecration of the cemetery, um, together with the International Committee. And I have seen firsthand the destruction. We've seen the, the uh, over Rosh Hashanah, 40 Matzevot, um, uh, the tombstones desecrated, and the graves desecrated. And then again on uh, on Sukkot or on Yom Kippur, there was more, and it's been ongoing. There's been ongoing violence, the stoning of cars, the attacks on the light railroad almost every day. And there really has to be a crackdown. And we've seen now the something we pushed for a long time, and that is introduction of legislation or proposed introduction of legislation that would hold the parents accountable for the acts of minors who engage in this kind of destruction and, and terror. How old was this terrorist? Which one? The, this was not a minor this week, right? No, this, no, this one right. was not a minor. He was right. not a minor. He was driving the car. Right, but this rock-throwing by minors and things like that, you mean? Well, it's the minors who, who engage in some of these activities, but it's right. because that it's instigated by adults, but they send the kids because they know that they'll get nothing more than a slap on the wrist. Right. So if the parents know that there's going to be a price to pay, second, you know, there's new units being created to deal with the violence in Jerusalem and the, by the police. I think that the reaction has been lax. We've had many, many discussions. They have taken steps like putting cameras on the Mount of Olives, but those cameras were then destroyed and, and burnt. And, and if there isn't a heavy consequence, if there isn't a price, uh, they're, they're trying to create a reality that East Jerusalem is not safe for Jews and that um, and the de facto division of the city, the, the ongoing violence then will spread to other areas and people talk about intifada. It's not an intifada, and I, I think that that's not imminent. But if you let violence go unchecked, then you invite it to, to spread. And the, the dismissal of this as being the, you know, the acts of kids is just not true. This is an organized effort. This is sustained over a long period of time and has to be addressed with real determination. I mean, because of so many different angles to this story, meaning the one in Jerusalem this week, we understand what you're saying in terms of, you know, every day being filled with attacks and different types of uh, of activity by the enemy. But in terms of this one, I it, because of the circumstances, and now you hear about the grandmother, you know, saying goodbye to the baby, going to the airport, finding out upon landing in the United States what had happened, and so many other things, and the American connection, uh, the the father supposedly was a student here in New Jersey in yeshiva. I mean, with all these different things, yet yet another episode that has really pierced the collective Jewish heart. I said yesterday, you know, every terrorist attack as we know and god almighty how many have we observed over and heard about over all these years you know every one of them uh, attacks the collective jewish heart but there's, it, there's just a uniqueness to each one and this one of course you know caused a tremendous amount of pain worldwide well when you read how it happened and uh, the, the nature of the attack <clears throat> and the ties that ultimately uh, come out that this is not just an independent act or the act of a crazy man you know, we see it now in the attacks, whether it's in Canada, the attacks here in New York, the, the, the hatchet-wielding guy, right. and which they're now saying may be an act of terror uh, or being redefined as an act of terror. When when you look at the situations, you know, the guy in Canada, they keep saying he was a lone operative, that they were looking for other shooters, now they say he was alone. But they're investigating now, Canadian officials, 63 uh, cases. This is... Not, not individuals, 63 cases, or 90 individuals who are suspect of being involved in planning or attacks. They, they know that um, many have gone to Syria and to other places, perhaps 150. 80 have returned to Canada. 
So they try to keep uh, track of it, and uh, the Royal Mounted Police and the CSIS and the others uh, there uh, in law enforcement uh, are uh, looking at it. But this guy who ta- carried out the attack, Canada, now they find the Libyan passport, that he was a Libyan-Canadian citizen, and uh, the caliph of, of uh, uh, IS who issued a, a, a fatwa telling people that they, that his followers, that they should um, go after and kill in any fashion right. the non-believers in the countries that are involved in the coalition or in, in attacks. So, and, and, and by the way, PA representatives also were praising the East, the East Jerusalem man who was responsible for the terror attack. I was just going to come to it right. that you have to go back and look at the incitement of Abbas, not mm-hmm. just PA guys. Correct. The, the moderates, the incitement of the moderates you could start with. Right. Who banned, once said that they have to ban Jews from the Temple Mount and said Jews defile it. And, and knowing that this is something that incites people and that, you know, when they say Al-Aqsa is under siege and other things, they know that the, the, the reaction, what the reaction will be. And the uh, the tolerance of any kind of level, and I'm, I think the police have taken uh, measures. You know, they banned people uh, under 50. They took other steps to try and and not shut off the, the, the Temple Mount, but uh, but to, to contain any potential um, uh, violence. Right. But Jews were barred for times from it. Right. And I think that that. All those things, you have to be careful about the message that it sends. The uh, and and that's what I wanted to mention when I alluded to the comparison or the discussion about you know the Jerusalem attack this week, same day as the Canadian attack. You know, we we, we refer to or certainly the world looks at you know Yerushalayim, Israel, unfortunately, is a hotbed of terrorism. Right, anything could happen at any moment. How many people were probably saying to themselves, "I was standing at that light rail, you know, a day ago, a week ago, or an hour ago when this attack happened." Uh, and then you go to Canada, which we always, of course, you know, joke about, you know, half jokingly. Uh, you know, isolated country, no problem on their borders. <laughs> Basically, you know, the, the, do they even need an army? Do they even need a military? And sure enough, there's an attack in their capital. And that's why, you know, the great, uh, the great debate of the 20th century on isolationism or not is essentially over. Basically, every world leader has, especially in the West, has got to come to the conclusion that terrorism is now at everybody's front door. It's in everybody's front door, but it, it's not on their borders. It's in their borders. Right. And the the review of how how these situations developed to the point they were. Canada had an open door policy, and Hezbollah took advantage of it. And its second biggest base outside Lebanon was in the Toronto area. Wow. And this goes back many years, and we had discussions ten years ago about this, eight years ago about it with Canadian officials. Now they're cracking down. The problem is that the barn door is open and all these guys escaped inside and, and uh, they have a, a big job, but it's not just them. Look what the British are facing. Yeah. Half of their resources are, are devoted to dealing with these guys. Who I know, but when you think of Canada, you know what I mean by the impression yeah, everybody has. Their biggest threat is the dairy farmers in upstate New York. Exactly, right? or the weather, you know, <laughs> basically. Um, was there an overreaction by the NYPD, you know, guarding the Canadian... Uh, uh, um, uh, landmarks in, in, in the New York area and all that. I mean, this was, this was, this, this likely was, you know, a, a, a no, nobody's out to get the Canadian, like I, I was reading theories about, uh, uh, Canadians, uh, you know, versus ISIS and support for the United States effort in this worldwide war. I mean, could it be that that was the message that, you know, that you have to stop supporting the effort against the enemy? Well, I'm not saying that the attack there was related to to a broader event. We'll see what the what the uh, investigation investigation and what the findings are, et cetera. But it is part of a worldwide rise in terrorism, and you see the orders being given, and that IS can recruit people 
and train them there and send them back specifically trained in their special camps to carry out attacks abroad. In Canada, they figure perhaps it's more vulnerable, especially when you see that the parliament is not, con- the entrance is not controlled like it is to the Congress or to the Capitol, and take it, take advantage. I don't think the police here overreacted because you have copycats. And if, in fact, some order was given to go after can- Canadian installations, you mm-hmm. have to prevent it and therefore take prophylactic measures. Not necessarily because they had specific information, which they said they didn't, but because you have to assume or you take the, the, um, the prophylactic measures not to allow something to happen that you could have prevented. All right. Uh, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. A rarity for us, a weekly update here on a Friday. It's Friday 7.40 in the morning every single week. Make sure to be tuned in on a weekly basis. Malcolm Holmline, of course, uh, with us. Um, by the way, Prime Minister Harper, he, he's great, right? I mean, his reaction was amazing, the way he uh, um, the way he uh, basically brought the country together up there after this attack. He did. He took uh, very strong measures and spoke with uh, real determination about the issue. And as you know, he has been one of the strongest, if not the strongest and most uh, forthright supporter of Israel yeah. in the international community. And uh, has demonstrated that same kind of leadership in regard to Israel. Yeah, that itself could explain why Canada is a target. But uh, we appreciate certainly. I know that uh, we give him too much credit if we do that <laughs> for being a target. <laughs> the enemy, the credit, or the yeah, Canadian? We're giving the enemy too much credit. Oh, that's true. They, they, right, that's they read a paper. That's a good point. They probably don't realize it the way we do <laughs> in terms of how dedicated they are. Um, it, by the way, another uh, death in Nepal. I mean, uh, d- 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 the the situation simply is that. I mean, this is time a, b- a bus accident. The situation simply is that Israelis use Nepal, three thousand miles away, as a very active resort for them, right? Very active vacation spot, right? Young Israelis, especially, but uh, often those who finish the army go on tours, but they go to very dangerous places. You see, you read about incidents in in other parts of uh, of the world because they go on. Uh, let's say cutting edge trips where mm. they take adventurous. Mm. Uh, today, unfortunately, the two Israelis uh, seem to were killed in, oh, the, it's in two, the accident, right. and three were injured. And of course, the the um, those who were caught in the avalanche uh, right. last week. I mean, these are real tragedies. You look at the faces and the histories of some of them; they're really quite remarkable. And the Israelis going in to uh, you know to, to to help out to. You know, take care of the situation after this happened. That's unique, or any country would would go and like the United States would do the same thing if American citizens were, God forbid, you know, uh, victims of some type of accident like that. Well, I think the United States uh, would, it would certainly get involved, but I don't know that uh, others uh, send planes and fly the victims and try to get them out of there as quickly as possible, even right. those who were wounded, because they get far better treatment in Israel than they can get there. It's amazing, you know. It's we we think. We think Israel's this little sliver of land in the Middle East. The, the 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 reach is just incredible. They'll go anywhere to help anybody. Maybe one day the world will recognize that. Is, is there any? I read one article about this, but it was unclear. Is there a real timetable in terms of Israeli creation of this Ebola vaccine, or is it very far off? No, it's the research is ongoing, and uh, there are places all over the world where they're doing research on right. Ebola. But Israel has been focused on it, <coughs> and uh, one. Leader, I remember, made a comment about uh, uh, Israel's response to, to Africa when, in fact, you know that Israel sent in uh, doctors 
to Cameroon early on in September already. They sent three field hospitals with soldiers and others to man it, doctors to man it. They have uh, provided equipment to the AU uh, African uh, Union some uh, African Union um, troops, uh, which, by the way, does not recognize Israel and doesn't invite them to their meetings. Uh, but they prevent. They provided all its preventative equipment and the, the uh, uniforms uh, to to enable them to carry out the work. So Israel has been in the forefront of the relief in this case, as they are. As again, you think of this little country and all the resources that they have to devote yeah. to to these different uh, incidents and, and cases. Remember in Haiti, remember oh, sure. tsunami and so many other things. You know, this is expensive, and it's uh, but it's part of the way Israel views its role and responsibilities in the world. And the comment that you were referring to, obviously, was a negative one about their role in Africa. Oh, yes. Unbelievable. I didn't see that, but just, well, I guess not unbelievable. Um, before we get to Iran and, and uh, other updates um, uh, regarding that, I just wanted to make one other comment about the whole reaction to the terror attack in Jerusalem. Uh, it, it seemed that... As you described and the headline that we discussed, it seems that a lot of listeners were very focused, and I was so glad to see that people were jumping into action about how to respond and what to do when they see a headline that's inaccurate or, you know, a, a bad portrayal or, um, uh, or if they see something on TV, obviously the internet, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, because, you know, we're not calling for boycotts here, and you and I have discussed this topic a million times, go directly to those websites, go directly to your telephone to call television stations, go directly to the newspapers or, or email them directly and, and let them know what the objection is. And, uh, I mean, anything to add to that or that's essentially the strategy? No, that's exactly what, but they have to hear right away. Right. And people should, should demand when there's uh, no coverage of an incident like the attack in, in Jerusalem or miscoverage or misreporting. You gotta respond immediately. You don't have to wait. For us to, to give instructions, right. thing that people should do automatically. And when you hear talk show hosts, or you, you hear broadcasters, or you hear, you know, you see comments, uh, whether it's in an editorial or in a story that's wrong, respond immediately. It does have an impact. Because you and I are never going. I shouldn't say never. You and I are likely not going to tell people call this network with this phone number and tell them X, Y, or Z. By but the time you come in on Friday and the story was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Then already, you know, everybody's on to the next thing, and, and uh, especially these days to react but intelligently and not to just jump on every story. This doesn't mean that. I mean, there's so many stories that uh, get out today because of the internet and all this, the websites that this information and misinformation sometimes deliberately placed there to make people go out on a limb, and then then uh, you know they cut the limb off behind them, so you destroy their credibility. So it's it's got to be done intelligently, but. For instance, an incident like the attack in Jerusalem is very clear. Everybody knows what happened, and you got to make sure that it's covered right. No question about it. And by the way, on the subject of passion, it was great to see this week that so many people were reacting this way and wanted to get involved. Uh, I, I know that this is not you know, a, a topic for you and I to discuss right now in depth, but we know that the death of Klinghoffer you know, debut took place this week. You have to acknowledge, at least, that it was great to see that people reacted, that the, the street was filled, and that you know, pe- people were passionate enough to get out there uh, and, uh, you know, let let their feet do the talking and, and protest what was going on inside. Absolutely. I think it was done responsibly, right. effectively, by and large. I don't know that what the long-term impact uh, was, right. but uh, uh, I think that the comments by Giuliani, Mukasey, et cetera, et cetera, were, were all uh, very strong and appropriately uh, expressed. 
and there were no really untoward incidents inside, you know, nothing that they can accuse uh, people of injuring or violence or threatening the uh, security of the situation. That was not the case. But uh, the very fact that this thing went on and that those who saw it were really reviled by it or just said this thing is so terrible just as a work of art, the fact that it was selected uh, raises more questions. And the, the editorials just in the last 24 hours, and I know, you know it's already days old, but we're seeing it still build up where, where intelligent right. commentators and others are assessing what, what the impact is. And when it comes at a time of, of rising terrorism, it's even more significant because it does glorify, in a sense, terrorism, and it, it extols the murders of a, a man in a wheelchair because he was Jewish and throwing him overboard and all of the rest and the music, the way it is uh, arranged to, to, to highlight the, the comments of the terrorists. Yeah. And regardless of what whether you think it's anti-Semitic, it's not anti-Semitic, what, et cetera, et cetera, the fact is that this is inappropriate and wouldn't have been done about any other kind of one of, of the, these terrorist murders. And I'm glad you brought up the uh, you know glorifying terrorism, how it could be attractive to so many. Did you read that article today about how many women in Canada are joining ISIS? Well, if you remember, before we broke, uh, f- uh, before Rosh Hashanah, I, t- I reported about 60 British women who who have been recruited from ages 18 to 24, uh, some as young as 16. Uh, young Canadian women have been going. Others from from France, etc. Women are becoming amongst the major recruits in, in these movements. Uh, there's still not a you know there's still a relatively small part of it, but right. the numbers are increasing steadily. Uh, it's part of the recruitment, and they get inspired by the same things. And what happens to them there? If you read the accounts of some of those who have tried to escape and tried to will come out and report on how they are abused and uh, misused how they're made available as wives, to, let alone the ones they capture, but even uh, some of those who have volunteered have been subjected to this kind of abuse. And it's also a further danger in terms of people who come back with passports, and women, I guess, are less suspect than some men. In some instances, uh, that uh, it, it increases the, the danger and the... the um, the outreach of ISIS and similar groups. Unbelievable. All right, before Iran, one last thing. I mean, we're actually reading now about possible new elections in Israel. I mean, how close is this to a reality? I don't think we're, we're there yet. Uh, another uh, member of the Knesset, Kahlon, one of the right. these leadership uh, types, are uh, resigned today to oh, take didn't. the Israel Antiquities Authority. Uh, it, it says something. Uh, we'll have to see what what it means in the long run. But uh, you know, there are rumors about it. But I don't see in whose interest it would be to have elections now. I don't see anybody gaining very much. All right. Uh, all right. Iran. Isn't there a, a very important deadline coming up? There is a very important deadline, November twenty fourth. We're racing towards it. And month from today. Very. Pardon me. Month from today. A month from today, and very disturbing reports about. You know, uh, uh, what kind of arrangements, what kind of concessions, what kind of deals are being made that the Iranians are holding to their, to their line. The IEA uh, head, International Atomic Energy head, Amano, said that they are not cooperating we, and, and that there are real questions if it's for peaceful purposes. We see them continuing to provide weapons to Lebanon, to ISIS, uh, against ISIS, against, to, to other groups. And, and I say this because it's important to know that the danger is not just Iran's involvement with uh, with the nuclear program, but when you put in the larger context that they are fomenting terrorism ar- around the, the region, their support of Assad, the, 
what they're doing with Hezbollah, even their support Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and uh, and other groups. And then you had the story last week that broke, which administration denies that they're going to bypass Congress. They're saying we don't need to go to Congress because we're not lifting the sanctions; we're only suspending them. But the net effect is will be the same on the economy uh, of Iran if they suspend as they did in the interim agreement. Um, they said you don't need a two-thirds vote of the Senate because it's not a treaty. Uh, but they're saying they don't want to bypass Congress. I think Congress will react very negatively to any attempt of that kind. Uh, but and, and the point is that there shouldn't be any relief until there's full compliance. And the, they're saying, well, we're not giving relief, we're just suspending. We see that the our, uh, car sales in Iran have went up four times this year. We see other benefits with the price of oil dropping. Iran is more susceptible now than ever, and the economic pressure should be ratcheted up now, not decreased. We see China uh, now talking about military deals uh, uh, with Iran, uh, other violations of the sanctions regime ongoing with the sales of oil, etc. I think that the, the any idea that that you. you there would be a major decision, and you don't have bipartisan support, will undermine both its implementation. I think Congress will not look favorably on an extension. The administration, Secretary Kerry, said that they don't want to have an extension either. But you see the Russians and others now talking more and more about it, and that they would continue the current uh, deal, this interim deal, which still gives them uh, relief. And the fear is that you have all these companies running in there waiting for any kind of a break so that they will, will be in the, in the front line. So the debate now has been about the number of centrifuges. There shouldn't be any, but where there are all sorts of numbers in the thousands that are being uh, thrown out. The question of transparency, the, tra- the question of how long the deal lasts, the question of what uh, re- relief they'll get is the, is the uh, Iranian side. But in the interim, and you know that on the show I talked for weeks about the danger of Yemen falling. While while we weren't on the air, Yemen fell. A country fell to Iran. And people may not think it's important, but Iran is critical. And the Houthis, who are the ones who marched, and we knew about it, we saw when it was months, when it was weeks, when it was days, the West did nothing, and they let the capital Sana fall to them. These are wholly owned subsidiaries, uh, a, a wholly owned subsidiary of Iran. And they now captured it. They, did, they captured a city, Hudaydah, which is on the Red Sea, north of Abamba Mandab. And I just, for one second, this is the critical entry point that to the Red Sea, to the to to the shipping from the Suez Canal. Forty uh, percent of the world's oil comes through these straits every day. This is goes into the Gulf of Aden. It, it is such a geopolitically critical place. And now the Iranians will have control of that, and the Straits of Hormuz, which are the two entry points, two transit points, rather, uh, for all of this shipping, and, and, and critically, they could close them off in a, if, uh, if they, in a time of conflict or in some situation, we would, of course, fight to open it. But the very fact that this can happen without, uh, with almost no response in the capital today of Sana, there are at least 14 checkpoints of the Houthis, and on it are painted signs that say, death to America, death to Israel, damn the Jews, and victory for Islam. Where's the response? Where's the world? A country fell to Iran. And and they're continuing to move now from the capital south. They're fighting against some of these the Muslim Brotherhood tribal groups, but in all these conflicts they've beaten Al-Qaeda and they've beaten, uh, beaten them. So it's, 
you know, it's really uh, unbelievable how the world allows things like this to go on. And U.S. intervention is limited. And we reward them. Is limited or at not, or at zero because there's no financial interest? I mean, I hate to be cynical, but, but is there that... Is a, I'm just pointing to you that exactly that, that there's a huge financial interest in this and what happens in Yemen. Uh, and and it's a critically geopolitical uh, position. This is the, the proxy war between Iran and Saudi Arabia that's been going on for a long time with the Houthis armed by Iran, been fighting along the border against the, the Saudis. Saudis been bombing them, many people killed over over the years. If the straits were closed, would the price of oil jump like crazy? <laughs> like, uh, unbelievable. So wouldn't that be beneficial to both Iran and Saudi Arabia? It's not beneficial. Saudi Arabia is uh, not raising the price of oil. Iran is demanding it because Iran needs 105 or between 95 and 105 dollar barrel oil. Oils, you know, dropped. And when it went below 90, it went below 85. This was a shock to the Iranian system and to Russia, by the way, which is also engaged in all sorts of nefarious activities uh, in the region and, and supporting Assad, as you know, and uh, weapon sales all over the place. After 10 years of being out, they, they picked up clients like Egypt and um, the GCC because the West is, is not doing the right things and not behaving the right way towards some of these countries. But they're there, and they're staying out of the conflicts. Meaning what? They're over. They're are very clear. But so the price of oil dropping has a dramatic effect, and the fact that the Gulf states and, and Saudi Arabia, et cetera, are not holding back production in order to raise it again to because of the glut of the market uh, is because they understand that this is hitting Iran and, it, and and hitting their ability then to fund these terrorist activities. Right, I understand, but it, it's, I, I'm, not, I'm not claiming that Saudi Arabia and Iran would be in cahoots with each other. What I'm saying is if Iran would go ahead and close the straits, they would certainly benefit financially, correct? But the cost of production is different in every country. For instance, Venezuela, it's very heavy oil. It costs a lot more to, to, to extract it and to refine it. So they're hit more proportionately than Saudi Arabia, where the oil is much cheaper to produce. It bubbles out of the, out of the ground. And it's a lighter crude. It is all very technical, but but yeah. there is differences for each, there are differences for each country. But overall, the principle you're right. Uh, and by the way, uh, people may not have noticed it, but Venezuela, this great democracy, got a seat on the UN Security Council. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't see that. <laughs> and and won by 180 to zero vote or something, 110 abstentions. <laughs> uh, and the the uh, by the way, Turkey was de- defeated. Uh, by Spain in its uh, effort, which is, I think, a repudiation. I think you will see much more reaction uh, to it. But the very fact that Venezuela, which was defeated two years ago, got in this time, very disturbing. And we, we can look forward to great things with uh, having certain countries now on the Security Council. you got to go back for a moment because um, this is one of the stories that intrigued us while we were, uh, uh, while we were celebrating Yom Tov's on uh, on Fridays. Um, there was a blast at the Iran Parchin nuclear plant. The Iranians think that Israel's responsible and, in fact, ordered a retaliatory attack against Israeli soldiers because of it. Uh, has Israel, or has anybody, acknowledged who's responsible for that attack October 10th? No, so far no one has, and there was an explosion. It's very clear. It leveled a whole section of Parchin, which is where a secret base where there's no inspection, but where they, we believe they're doing the weaponization and they're, they're, they're testing the triggers for a nuclear weapon, other, uh, other parts of the uh, technical, technological parts of the uh, weapon system, because there are three parts, you know, that there's the missile, you need a delivery system, you need weaponization, 
advantages, the ability to affix a nuclear weapon and developing a nuclear weapon and having the enrichment, the uranium for it. So this was that part, that middle part, that, that uh, which is being done at Parchin. And uh, so it was very significant, but yeah, you're right, you don't read much about it. And, and how likely is it that uh, an outsider could have come in and caused that explosion? Uh, that it would not have been an accident within the facility itself or sabotaged by one of their own. I mean, is, is it possible the way, the, with the lay of the land the way it is, is it possible that an outside country could have come in and caused that explosion? Is it possible that a drone could have dropped something? Is it possible that uh, some agent, it could it be? Well, I'm asking more about likelihood. The Iranian group, could it? Absolutely. And the Iranians never acknowledge it because they, they you know, uh, directly. Unless there's, uh, you know, it's exposed to the world. But here, 12 kilometers away, the windows were broken. They couldn't hide it. Well, they asked Hezbollah to retaliate on Israel, so they must have acknowledged something. That, well, they they do that automatically, right? But uh, and and this is another issue which we, I guess, today we can't do. But the the activities on Israel's northern front and the earth-moving machines and stuff that, that Israel today, by the way, is sending troops down to start checking out what what happened because there's a belief that they're building tunnels underneath, like. We had the reports from Gaza that people living near the border areas here digging here these uh, machines and these earth moving machines have disappeared into the side mountains. I can't see them now. So this is uh, another concern about what's happening on Israel's northern border with Iran's proxy Hezbollah. It's unbelievable. What do you think of the Shabbos project, Malcolm? I think very highly of it. Uh, Rabbi Goldstein had called me about it in the beginning. I thought. It was a wonderful idea. He did it in uh, South Africa. Now here, I see the signs around. I'm speaking at an event tomorrow. Where? Uh, uh, at the Agudo and Avenue L tomorrow before Mincha. There's a panel to t- of people talking about uh, uh, you know what it means to be from in the world uh, as a whole. The um, so I think it, it's a good idea, and, it, and it's very important for us to break the barriers and to. What we saw this summer, the unity, the actors, it's really important that we sustain it. And what better than Shabbos to bring people together and to to remind us with all the problems that we've discussed and hardly even broke the surface. We didn't <laughs> talk about the British vote. We didn't talk about the Irish yesterday voting to recognize the Palestinian states. We didn't talk so many things. The Arab Bank, what happened with uh, those very important decisions or Nazis getting Social Security. We have so many things, a serious catalog of issues that are current that it's time sometimes to step back and to to look at the good and to to come together and to find what we have in common, not what divides us. Amen to that. Well, you always said there is some good news out there. I'm glad we were able to wrap up with it. Uh, enjoy your uh, Shabbos Rosh Chodesh, and uh, we will speak Bezrat Hashem next week. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. The weekly update, Friday, 740 Eastern Time here. At JM in the AM. Candle lighting at 542. Today is Rosh Chodesh. Tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh again. You're all invited to the uh, Chassan Torah, Chassan Bracious Kiddush at the Mizrahi on the Lower East Side tomorrow. And I want to wish a Mazel Tov to all the Chassan Torahs and Chassan Bracious's, uh, if there is such a term, <laughs> many of whom will be commemorating uh, their designation with a Kiddush, I'm sure, this Shabbos or at some future time. Uh, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. I mentioned uh, yesterday when the... Um, uh, wonderful people from Eichler's were here rec- making recommendations of uh, of Parsha books. One of them is, of course, the Parsha book by Rabbi Yudin. Uh, I want to highly recommend it, uh, not just because I've had a role in it 
all these years um, by presenting or by Uden on Fridays, but because it is really an amazing collection of um, of uh, a different um, uh, different passages about the parsha. Uh, check it out, uh, Rabbi Benjamin Uden. Just search it online and uh, get it in your library and use it at your Shabbos table each and every week. This time, each and every Friday, every erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody, and good Chodesh. Today being first day of Rosh Chodesh, Mar Cheshvan. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Noach. Parshas Noach as Parshas Bereshis did Parshas Noach spans the second thousand years of world history. It is not a, quote, happy Parsha. In fact, the very introduction to the Parsha, whereby the Torah tells us regarding Noach, in the very first verse, he is an Ish Tzadik, as well as Tomim Sav. He was a righteous man, and he was perfect in his generations. The rabbis understand the term tzaddik to refer to his interpersonal relationships and tamim in terms of his relationship man to God. And so Noah lived both in the early part of the parsha, which deals with the generation of the flood, the Dora Mabul, and there the Torah tells us that Batimole Ha'aretz Chamas, the land was full with robbery, corruption, and therefore it had to be destroyed. Noah excelled in the area where they failed, namely man to man, and in the second half of the parsha, where you have the Dor HaFlaga, the generation that tried to build the tower, and according to our rabbis, their primary goal was to rebel against God, and to make sure that He would not bring another flood as the first one came 1,652 years after creation they would make sure that he would not be in control to bring another one at that same time in the future so there while they rebuilt against God and hence were dispersed Noah was the Tamim in that generation as well but my problem is the following, that Noah is a tzaddik, and we know from his three sons, shame, and we have Aver. You can count on one hand until you get to Avraham, the number of righteous individuals in this world. And we have to pause, I believe, for a moment and ask ourselves, why is this the case, when in reality, if I were to ask everybody a very simple question, why did Hashem create this world? So I can tell you what 
the Kabbalists answer, and they say the reason why Hashem created this world was because Teva Hatov Lehitiv, which means that the nature of the good one, referring to God, is to bestow goodness. Namely, he wanted a world that he could bestow goodness onto the world and onto mankind. So if that's the case, that Hashem is good, and as we read last week, He breathes a living soul, Nishmas Chayim, of His essence into man. Okay? So, and as we find in this week's parsha, when God gives Noah the seven laws of Noah, the seven basic laws of mankind and civilization. When it comes to murder, the Torah says that unlike in that same paragraph that Noah was given permission to take the life of animals, something which Adam Arishon could not do, who was a vegetarian, now, in contrast to the permissibility of killing animals, in chapter 9, Verse 6, If man spills the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed, meaning capital punishment. Why? How important is man? Man is so important because after all, in the image of God, did Hashem make him? So if that's the case, that God is good, a man was made in the image of God, why is it that most individuals, A, historically, and I have to watch my words very carefully, but very possibly even today as well, are not yet good? To prove that I'm right historically, we go to the fifth chapter of Avos, and we look at the second and third Mishnayos. And we're told in the second Mishnah that there were ten generations from Adam to Noah. Why? To show the degree of Hashem's patience. Why? All those generations angered Him increasingly. So what do we see? That mankind did not live up to its potential. And what do we see in chapter 5, Mishnah 3? Ten generations in this week's parasha from Noah via Avraham. And Lodia, the Mishnah tells us, the degree of Hashem's patience. Once again, all these generations angered him increasingly by not living a moral lifestyle. Until Avram came and received the reward of them all. So now, my obvious question is, if God is good, a man was given the opportunity to be good, why unfortunately, is, was he, is he, not the way he should be. And, ouch, a further ouch is that Rashi, in his commentary last week, in Bereshis, chapter 2, Pasuk 4, on the word, 
told those Shemayim Va'aretz Behi Bar'am, Rashi notes that this world was created with the letter Hey. As we know, and Rashi points out, with an opening at the bottom, symbolizing man's descension into oblivion if he's not successful in leading a righteous life. And in addition, Rashi tells us that we are taught that the world to come is symbolized by the letter Yud, the smallest letter. Why? Teaching that those privileged to go there are like the letter Yud, the minority of the population. So if everything should be so good, why is it not? The Orachayim HaKadosh in last week's parasha of Bereshis in chapter 3, Pasuk 4, when he analyzes Adam's sin of eating from the Eitz Hadas, he asks straight out, why did Hashem not diminish the power and attraction of the Yetzer Hora, the evil inclination, thus making man's mastery over it easier and more manageable? In other words, don't make this world so challenging for man, and therefore man will be able to get greater reward. And his answer is straight out. In accordance with the challenge and the effort to defeat the Yetzir Hara, is the reward and benefit for both this world and the world to come. He, the Orachayim, cites the Mishnah, at the end of the fifth chapter of Avos, whereby we're taught, Lefum Tsara Agra, that in accordance with the exertion is the reward, or in simple English, no pain, no gain. Now the Ramchal, in his Das Tvunos, explains that the good that Hashem extends to man, what is this good, Teva Atov Lahetiv? is the opportunity for man to connect with and benefit from the Shekhinah, the Divine. And the only way to accomplish this, interestingly, is to fulfill the 611th commandment of the Holachta Bidrachav, as found in Devarim, chapter 28, Pesach 9, which means to walk in Hashem's ways, Mahurachum Rachum, as He is kind, merciful, does acts of kindness, by emulating Hashem, who is all-giving, man is to follow and give by performing acts of kindness and spirituality. And interestingly, were man to receive a reward without performing and without accomplishing, this would be degrading for man and debasing for him. This is what our rabbis call na'ama Dikisufa, literally bread of shame. That a person who doesn't work for it and is given the reward or benefit on a silver platter really can't appreciate it because he know that he really didn't and doesn't deserve it. So perhaps this is a further way of understanding what our rabbis 
teach when they say in the Gemara Shabbos 127a, based upon the beginning of Parshas Vayera, Gedola Hachnosas Orchim Mikabolas Peneashchina, that receiving guests is greater than greeting the divine presence. Why? For it's better to have a relationship with Hashem in a manner of giving, namely by our emulating Him and our giving to others, which is hachnasas orchim, by bringing people into our home and giving them, and thereby emulating His, Hashem's character, than to encounter Hashem by simply kabolas penehashchina, man being the recipient without his putting out. And how appropriate this is for this Shabbos. For indeed, we take note to give special hakoras hatov to Chief Rabbi Warren Goldstein of South Africa, who conceived of the idea last year of a campaign that he called the Shabbos Project, whereby every observant Shabbos, those who observe Shabbos in South Africa, were urged to invite a family that does not yet observe Shabbos, to invite them in, to allow them to experience the incredible gift of Shabbos. And last year, over 20,000 people observed Shabbos for their first time. And now, this Shabbos all over the world, Jewish people who observe the Shabbos have been urged, and it's not too late, invite into your home tonight, invite them today, as soon as you hear the end of the program, invite somebody to come tonight for the Shabbos meal, to come tomorrow for the Shabbos meal, to experience Shabbos Firsthand to see the beauty of Shabbos, to see the Lechem Mishnah, to see the special meal, to see the Divrei Torah, to see the Zemiros, and to realize, oh, we don't cook on Shabbos, to see the Blech, to see the entire environment, and how appropriate this would be meaningful to any and every Shabbos, but how appropriate that a, the Zohar, and our Kabbalah, Noach is compared to Shabbos, but more significant, Noach excels at Achnosas Orchim. He is the Machnes Oreach par excellence. He is the one that literally takes in all of the creatures into his Teva and saves them and brings forth a new, meaningful world and society based upon Olam Chesed Yibonech, that which he extends kindness to all of the animals. What emerges from this is the realization that meaning, purpose, and fulfillment in this world is really, as we find at the beginning of the Mesilas Yesharim, namely, that we should be omeid binisoyon, that we're put into this world to overcome the obstacles and master the challenges of the evil inclinations. And therefore, inherent in 
the initial question that I asked was the idea and the thought that tests, nisyonos, and challenges are not really good for man. But the Ramban in his commentary on the Akedah in Beratius teaches that Hashem only tests those that can pass the test. Avram became the great father of our nation because he was tested with ten tests and he passed them all. And like the word Nisoyon, Nis, is not simply a test, but it means to elevate, as in a banner. Avram became elevated and actualized his potential as a result of the tests. And so too, each and every one of us is to realize that we possess a unique mission, each person and potential, and a unique array of challenges is for you each one your own, which is God's way of offering His lahative, His ultimate goodness, enabling each person to grow and earn the best of this world and the next. And indeed, the Orachayim HaKadosh, that we mentioned earlier, in chapter 3, Pasuk 4 in Bereshis, ends his treatment of this most important concept with the words, Ashreya'am Shekachalo, praiseworthy, is the people for whom this is so, and Halavai, we should learn from Parshas Noach to put things in the right perspective, and rather than say, look how bad they were, look how bad others are, look how great each and every one of us can please God become. Shabbat Shalom to all. First time ever there Strapped into his knapsack With his long and curly hair He stood there for a while Then broke out with a smile Motion overwhelming joy With tears The men were dancing there The hearts so full of love They sang such happy tunes the one above for showing them the way for giving them a day rest rejoice with peace of mind to pray
He spent some time with us in total ecstasy. Next Shabbos came along, his feelings grew so strong. He first began to feel that he belonged. Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free. Just one Shabbos, come and join with me. Let's sing and dance in the sky with our spirits so high. We'll show them all it's true. Let them come and join us too. Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free. Just one felt we couldn't play the um, the cover of Just One Shabbos that was done especially for the Shabbos project without first going back to the original. That's the Suki and Ding presentation of the one and only Mordechai Ben David. Goes back quite a while. Oh, yes. I think from before I got to this radio station. Uh, that is the original Just One Shabbos. And we'll do the other one coming up in just a moment. 14 minutes before, eight, before 9 o'clock. JM in the AM. Don't forget... Speaking of the Shabbos Project, we posted on the Nahum Single Network Facebook update page, simply entitled Nahum Single Network, 
the um, interview that Matis did with Rabbi Goldstein a couple of weeks ago, just when the Shabbos project was really starting to gather steam in North America. So you could hear that. Go to the Facebook update page. You could hear that. Pretty amazing. Um, we're not announcing any more Shabbos Project events. I made that clear because we just got inundated like crazy. So we were recommending that you, you know, go to your local sources. But anybody who did post on the app, uh, I feel we must acknowledge. So a big thank you to those who let us know that the big challah bake in Kew Gardens Hills was a success. Over a thousand, over a hundred women rather, uh, and kids too were involved. Um, then someone asks us to mention again the concert with Soul Farm that's happening at Rage on Ocean Parkway tomorrow night at 8.30. You can go to jewishtickets.com for tickets or dial 937-540-4441 uh, for information by phone. But jewishtickets.com has that. It's the Rage event at 2915 Ocean Parkway tomorrow night with Soul Farm. Also the Shabbat Project. Rabbi Mayor Goldvicht is joining Rabbi Yudin at Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, for this Shabbos, which is pretty amazing. For information, you can call Shomrei Torah at 201-791-7910, 201-791-7910 for information. Listener Chaya tells us that over a 1,000 women uh, were at the Sands last night. The Achdus permeated the atmosphere for the big Chala Bake and the Eitan Katz concert. And uh, as Malcolm mentioned, let's hope that the uh, atmosphere of unity just continues and continues. ZK tells me that the video, the video for Table for Two, Naomi Nachman, is up already at NachumSiegel.com. So you can watch her show. And, of course, she's coming up at 9 o'clock right after us here at jmnam.org with Table for Two with cookbook author Ronnie Fine discussing her brand-new book. Menachem Lubinsky from Kosher Fest will chat about the growth of the show over the last quarter of a century and the brand-new products that are out there. And S.D. Berkowitz from Kosher Fest will share all the exciting details of the event. So that is all happening between 9 and 10 this morning at jmnam.org. And a big thank you to our friends at Kedem as they again uh, present an amazing Arab Shabbos music mix going from uh, 10 a.m. until candle lighting time. Candle lighting at 5:42. Uh, from 10 a.m. until candle lighting time, with incredible music. Probably no better way to prepare for the Shabbos project Shabbos than with uh, our music mix on the stream. Uh, make sure you have the NSN app and just play it all through the day. Why not? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? <laughs> This is this is the Just One Shabbos prepared by Benny Friedman, eighth day in the Yeshiva Boys Choir in honor of the Shabbos Project. And this, of course, is JM in the AM. Join with me, we'll sing and dance to the sky. 
J.M. the A.M. Shabbos Project. Unbelievable. Rosh Chodesh morning on this era of Shabbos Parshas Noach and candle lighting at 542. If you're looking for uh, amazing selections to teach your Shabbos guests tonight, you may want to try this one. <laughs> We've been closing out our week with this for about 30 years. Time to say good Shabbos on a Friday morning, Rosh Chodesh morning at J.M. and the A.M. Through the trees Another week's gone by 
job is Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Man and his creator, it's a very special sign Your candles will be burning They'll fill your home with light Singing songs of Shabbos Well into the night So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Israel and Achim Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Wraps up an amazing week for us here at JMTheam. I'm glad we were able to be here for the full week this time. <laughs> Uh, my thanks to Malcolm Holmline. As Congressman Garrett will join us Monday. That's rescheduled for the 7 o'clock hour on Monday. Don't forget that. The Naomi Nachman is next with Table for Two. Uh, Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night. He'll feature a bunch of artists that are involved in Shabbos Project work over the weekend. And Matis will host JM Sunday. Allison Josephs and Elliot Weiselberg, both among his guests, between 7 and 9 a.m. Sunday morning Eastern Time on our stream. 
at jmintheam.org. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Make sure to join us Monday morning here at JM in the AM. Till then, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.